Welcome to Limitless, how to crush it in commercial real estate. The show that gives you inside access to how retail real estate's most successful leaders went from being an average Joe Schmo to the CEO. I'm your host, Aaron Zucker. Hey everyone, before we get started, I wanted to take a quick second to thank the guys at CASCM for making this podcast happen. They've brought Limitless from an idea to making it a reality, and I can't thank them enough for support along the way. If you're looking to get going on your own content creation journey or need help with your marketing, I'd strongly encourage you to reach out to them at kazcm.com. Whenever you have the opportunity to hear a story that entails someone starting at a company as an intern with just four other people to owning the company with well over 100 people across nine offices, it's safe to assume there's some serious value and wisdom to be offered up. Brian Anderson's rise to the top of not only Atlantic retail, but retail commercial real estate as a whole makes for a great story that we can't wait for you to hear. So check out my conversation with Brian Anderson right now. On today's episode, we have Brian Anderson, who's a partner at Atlantic Retail. Brian, how you doing? Good, how are you? Doing great, appreciate you joining us. We will go ahead and jump right into it. We go really old school and throw it all the way back to when you were a little Brian. So tell us where you grew up and what your family dynamic was like. Got it. Uh, Grew up in Norwood, Mass. Went to high school in Boston, went to Tufts University, really never left the Boston area. Started at Atlantic Retail right out. Actually, I interned at Atlantic Retail in college. Started three days after graduation. So I sufficiently do not have a resume. (laughs) I've never had another job. So other than the fact that we've all heard you talk for 30 seconds now, we have figured out, even without you having to say it, that you are from the New England area, of course. You've heard the Boston accent. That's fine. A little bit. You're actually our second Boston area accent to have on the show. We had Stan Martinez, who's a Planet Fitness franchisee, whose accent is unique, we'll say. But going back, I want to dig into your upbringing, childhood, et cetera, a little bit. Only child, brothers and sisters. What was that like? I have one sister. She is six years younger than me. Went to Tufts as well. And not in real estate. Okay. Well, how were you as a student growing up? How was I a student growing up? When I was interested, I was probably a good student, but I think there would be teachers that would say they were probably a little frustrated with my focus sometimes. If it was a course that wasn't interesting to me, I probably wasn't into it. Classic answer that you hear from entrepreneurs and people who are, I can relate, I guess is the best way I can put that. So what other activities or what extracurriculars did you do growing up? Obviously, in order to get into Tufts, you had to be pretty well-rounded, I suspect. Yeah, I played football, basketball, and baseball. So, of course, my kids play soccer, hockey, and lacrosse. <laughs> I played football at Tufts. And I would say today, I'm probably an avid golfer, fishing, any kind of boating, skiing. Yep. Nice. What did your parents do? So, my mom was a teacher. And my dad was in computers. So on an early age into disaster recovery, working for companies to disaster recovery, which today is everything in all of these companies, right? Sure. Yeah. A lot of people probably raised eyebrows with him being in that field at that time. I don't know. He didn't talk about it. (laughs) Okay, that's fair enough. So what characteristics did you sort of get from them and your family dynamic growing up that you feel like have translated well to your career today? Obviously, just... Purely hard work. My parents killed themselves to put my sister and I through private school, through college. So I'd say overall, true appreciation of the work ethic. Sure. Sure. 
So you go to Tufts partially for obviously the academic pedigree in a school like that. You can't deny. And then of course you're playing football there as well. What interest did you have getting going there? And how did you decide on whatever you ended up majoring in, which was? Well, I majored in political science, so I really had no clue what I was going to do. I probably thought that I would end up in, you know, there were times I thought I'd end up in New York, going to work for some financial company, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I really went through it and kind of this internship hit me with Atlantic Retail fall of my senior year and just changed my whole course of action. Yeah. So tell us more about that. Did you even know it? And I'm asking this question not to like belittle the 20 or 21-year-old Brian Anderson, but I legitimately, when I was that age, had no idea what commercial real estate was. I just thought real estate was homes. Like, How did you even get exposed to commercial real estate in general, the opportunity to intern in Atlantic? How did that come about? It came about that the previous owner of Atlantic Retail was a Tufts graduate, a fraternity brother. And he would have a couple of seniors every year do internships. He would offer them and wanted to give back. And Tufts was great to him. And I called him up and said, I want an internship. And went in to meet with him. And he said, where's your paperwork? I said, what paperwork? And he was quite frustrated that it was time for me to grow up and get my head together. And I said, okay, one more question. What paperwork? And he said, the paperwork that I need to sign so you can get credit for this internship so you can graduate on time. I told him I was already graduating on time. I didn't need it. So he looked at me and said, what are you here for? I said, I don't know. I want to figure out what you're doing. And I interned for the year and he hired me. So why don't you come on board full time? I love it. So do you have any exposure to real estate, commercial real estate at all prior to your first interactions with him? Zero. Zero. Never thought of it as an industry that I would go into. What made you gravitate? What did he say or what did he do or how did he carry himself that made you want to be like, I want to go work for this guy. I want to learn more. Even though I don't know what he's doing really, it seems interesting enough for me to want to pursue this. I think he graduated six years before me and he seemed to be sharp, successful. I just was curious about it. and. I didn't think there was anything that he said, just wanted to see what it was all about and got into it and realized that I had a lot of knowledge of the area, knew where things were, understood it without even thinking about it. I think some of it was just second nature in the beginning and getting to learn, see all these new companies. Look, this is fall of 91 into the spring of 92. It was right on the verge of all these big boxes and everybody coming to New England. We didn't have. I mean, Home Depot was just opening in New England at that time. Costco didn't have a store yet in New England. Wow. Target didn't come till 1990s. We didn't open our first Target store until 97. Pretty hard to fathom the retail landscape of such a dense area of the country with unbelievable GDP from a retail perspective. And to hear names like Target, Costco, Home Depot having no presence. It was an old school. You had the old school. Department stores, Bradley's, Caldor. We didn't even have a lot of Kmarts, to be honest. It was Ames. Those were the department stores. Those were the discounters. Wow. So tell us about the internship. You did it during the, the entire senior year. Is that right? I did. So what'd you do? Basically, before we had computers and before we had Google Earth and before we had the internet, you tracked shopping centers. Literally, form a piece of paper, drive up, sit in the parking lot, and track down every single name. I mean, sure, we had the old shopping center directory books, but they were never accurate. 
So what I was doing was I was canvassing every single shopping center in greater Boston for accuracy of updated who the tenants are, then making phone calls to see if I could get site plans to build the database for Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Now it's all in, on the internet. We had to do it the old-fashioned way. I love that, though. I feel like I'm so old telling this story right now. Well, it's not our intent to age you, but it's our intent to give our listener base the extent and wisdom of what you can provide to the commercial real estate world. How about that? So you're interning at Atlantic, you're canvassing sites. For what intention? What's the makeup of the company like at this point? How many people were there? What was the main focus of Atlantic at that time? The makeup of the company is there were five people in total. There were two former owners that just left CB, Caldwell Banker, a year before. They were actually our actually our first year in the business. We were Northwest Atlantic. We were the New England region of Northwest Atlantic. That only lasted 18 months or it was short, but we were representing Costco, or I should say they were. And we were just representing different retailers doing what Atlantic does today without the ability of the internet to make it easy. So it was literally driving all of the shopping centers and charting and understanding what the landscape was. Got it. So there's a team of five people, inclusive of the two principal broker owners, a couple of maybe other brokers and or support. There was one other broker. There were two principals, partners in the company. There was one other broker. There was an assistant and then me. Wow. And pretty much focused exclusively on tenant representation at that time. Yes, there were a few landlord representations, but these guys had been doing in the retail shopping center business for a while and they're doing the brokerage. So they had a few listings. We actually had a lot of work with Stop and Shop at the time, which ironically, we still do all of their real estate, their excess real estate. But yeah, I would say the majority of the work was tenant representation. Got it. So you're interning and you're seeing. It sounds like an incredible internship. Obviously, they hooked you in, right? Because you're getting not only... You're doing work as an intern that's real, right? Like It's not just picking up coffees. And I'm sure you did plenty of that. But the fact that the work that you were doing was going to directly impact the value that the company needed to provide to its clients had to obviously hit home and sure put a lot into you wanting to do that after school. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, I immensely enjoyed it. I was putting in more hours than probably was even expected to because I enjoyed it. And it was something that was really intriguing to me and kind of what drove me to say, I don't think I want to go sit at a desk in some trading desk in New York City for the rest of my life. Whereas this, you're you're out in the car every day. You're doing something and seeing something new every day. Love that. So you finish up your internship and you graduate from Tufts. Then what happens? It's not a secret that you stay on with Atlantic Retail, but how does your role shift there and kind of take us through that first year too? So the first year was just a continuation of the internship of the first six months was to literally, I drove shopping centers every single day. I drove markets and that was it for the first six months. All I did was drive every day and rarely wasn't in the office that much. I was out there physically seeing and continuing to chart and build the database, which there was times that you'd say, oh, this is, it's starting to get to be a drag. But you realized at the end of the day that I still have memories today of that day that I was in this shopping center in 30 years ago. Here in the best way possible, I'm sure. And I still firmly believe it's the best way to be truly effective in our business. And that's what we do with 
a lot of our young folks today that get in, first thing I tell them is you're going to drive until you wear your tires up. I love that. And I'd be curious to hear, especially in an environment, one thing it's certainly, yes, technology probably would have made you substantially more efficient as it's probably made the teammates who are coming into the company and the industry in general more efficient now. But I'd love to know about your system. What can you tell us about what your system was like to get in? You know, was it random just get in the car and drive every day? Or did you have this day, I'm going to hit these markets on this side of the street? I mean, what was sort of the thought process? So I definitely had a system and you would take the market and take Greater Boston. And this was even driving New Hampshire and Maine and Rhode Island, Connecticut. But you just put it in grids of you'd pick a, a metro north. You'd pick a and that would be the going to be the drive. And the night before you, I would to be most efficient, I would literally put together the itinerary of the shopping centers in order so that I was never trying to not double back and see as many as I could. So if I could go see 30, 35 shopping centers in a day, that would be a good day. I'd say the hardest part was trying to drive and write things down at the same time without crashing. Yeah. I'm glad you're here, first off. <laughs> I'm sure you're putting them scary instances that were close calls. I know I'm ashamed to admit I've got a few myself. Yeah. I'm not proud of, but... And honestly, writing it all down, then being forced to physically write it down, as people always say, you write it down, you remember it. I still do. Huge proponent of that. Some of these skill sets that you're providing, you know, some of which, you know, we've embarked and some of which we haven't here. And that one seems like it sticks around forever. Yep. So you're continuing to database, you're six months in or what have you. I mean, eventually you have to start making a living, right? So how do you go from point A to point B on that? So six months in, they transitioned me into brokerage. They put me on some listing assignments. At the time, they had a client called Pet Supply Depot, which was a precursor to Petco. It was a small chain in New England that had five stores. And my job was to go find new locations, which turned out to be, I think we grew probably in the first three or four years. We opened another six or seven locations for them. And then Petco came in and bought them. And so that's where I started my relationship with Petco. And I actually analyzed the company of locations. And literally, when Petco was trying to buy them, they wanted to figure out if they were getting the true story on sales. So they literally had me spend an, an entire weekend sitting in front of the store, counting people walking in the store. Wow. Obviously, this podcast is delivered audibly, right? So you can only hear it. But Brian's got a smirk on his face watching my jaw drop and thinking like, wow, like that, there was no better way to get it. And he's looking at me like, yeah, that's how it was done. I hate to sound like it's old school, but there were a lot of old school things back then. Sure. I don't think anybody could argue that sitting in front of a Petco parking lot for an entire weekend would be considered old school at this point. It was awfully boring. (laughs) I suspect, but you did what it took to get the job done. And I can't imagine you didn't get a ton of other productive observations about it. Just like seeing the types of customers going out of different stores nearby and how much foot traffic is going by vacancies, et cetera. So we like to often ask what... The big break is, and if you had a big break in your career, was it the Petco acquisition? Was that sort of like your splash to the world in brokerage of, hey, I represent Petco now, this national you know, pet store operator? What was your big break? Well, that was certainly, obviously, my relationship with Petco over the last... I mean, we've done over 400 deals with Petco. So it was obviously... It's been a wonderful relationship with Petco and our expansion with them. 
But I don't think at the time that that was my break. I was working on a lot of other retailers. Look, this was a time there, I throw some names at you that we were trying to bring Incredible Universe to Boston. We were working with Office Max. We were working with Computer City. So we had a lot of great clients at the time that we were working with. So I don't know that that was the big break. I would say that one of the catalysts for Atlantic, I would certainly give credit to Petco. It was Petco that was the catalyst for us to open the Florida office and then the Carolina office. Okay. Because we were doing the expansion there. And we will certainly touch on that because 400 deals with one retailer is pretty impressive. It says a ton, right? It says that you do great work because you've done 400 deals. It says a ton about you guys' ability to bring in, foster, and grow a relationship. I don't think any retailer would stick with the same brokerage company for 400 deals if something wasn't going right, which is pretty amazing. How did you get from... We kind of understand the logistics now, right? You canvassed like crazy. You earned the right to become a broker. You assist with what eventually became the Petco account. How did you get there qualitatively? Who were some of your mentors or what were you doing that got you to a point where you became someone who, yeah, you know everything about every shopping center to being an expert broker? It was also the ability to work daily with the two principals, Brian Kelly and Dan Doherty, and just being given the opportunity to work on some of these accounts to roll out expansions throughout New England. You look when you're 23 years old and you're running around with 30, 40,000 square foot tenants. It was exciting. It was fun. And I had the knowledge and they had taught me well. But imagine so. I think you've obviously been a huge beneficiary of their mentorship and guidance and absolutely the success as a result. Who was it at Atlantic that was the Tufts alum that brought you in originally? That was Dan Darty. Dan Darty. Mm-hmm. When that occurred and you saw what he was doing and you were like, okay, I'm going to try this commercial real estate thing. I'm going to go into brokerage. I'll try it at Atlantic Retail and see where the world takes me. Did you know that this is ultimately where you wanted to be long term and that you wanted to become partner there on the principal side? Like, what did you want long term when you first got into the industry? I'm curious. I would say definitely within a year, I knew I wanted to. This was something that I could see myself doing for a career. Did I think one year in that I'd be 30 years later still sitting here in Atlantic Retail? I don't know that I had that vision, but I certainly knew that this was a career that was something I wanted to do. I enjoyed it and I wanted to do. If I was going to be passionate about something, that was going to be something that I truly enjoyed. And the ability to do something different every single day or every four minutes is talking about a completely different opportunity is exciting. It keeps it fresh. But nothing's more exciting than being a guest on this podcast, right? Nothing is absolutely nothing more exciting than being a guest on your podcast. Perfect. Okay. I just wanted to make sure the listener base was not hot and clear. All right. So you're a couple years in, you're starting to do Petco deals and some other deals, and you alluded to it earlier. And I can tell you're going to be tough to interview from this perspective because of your humility. But like you started saying, we opened Florida and Boston. I mean, sorry, from Boston, we opened Florida, then the Carolinas. Like, talk to us about the evolution of Atlantic. And it's important. I'm going to go ahead and press in on the front end because I feel like I would have to go back and ask it anyway. What your specific involvement was with that and sort of how you helped become a huge catalyst for the growth and efforts that you guys have been able to to achieve over the years? So I worked for Atlantic for eight years. And then I, with a former partner, bought the company from the previous owners who were done with brokerage. They were focused on on development and wanted to do that full-time and sold us the company. 
right after I think I read it, I turned 30, got married and bought the company in the span of 12 days. I'm sure that was an easy, low stress time in your life. Absolutely. What did I just buy? Here are the keys and uh, good luck. Actually, tell us that. Seriously, what did you buy? How many people were there? What did the company look like at that time? So there were probably maybe 15 people at the time in 2000. Okay. Dan Lynch was sitting in a cube in our office at the time. And I just started doing, right after that, I started doing, Petco said they wanted to go to Florida. And the real estate manager said, could you help me? Sure. And I had a couple of relationships down there that just went down and figured it out. And about two years later, I was traveling there almost every other week with young kids. And I asked, does anybody want to move to Florida? Dan Lynch raised his hand and said, the weather sounds great. Let's go. (laughs) I love it. So we literally leased an office, small office space. And there were probably three or four Petco's open at the time, maybe a half dozen. And it was, we went there with Petco and said, we're going to make Atlantic happen in Florida. And we've got to have a hundred stores in Florida now just for that one account. Unbelievable. So going back to the acquisition for a second, you'd been in the company eight years. There was 12 people. You'd mentioned that there was other partners. How much of the company did you own or what was that dynamic like? I owned 50%. I bought it with one other partner. Okay. We owned it for 10 years together and he wanted to go off to do other things. And I bought him out and brought on other partners. Got it. Okay. Which we'll come back to just for in an attempt to stay as chronological as possible. So there's 12 of you in Boston. Petco says, bring us to Florida. Dan Lynch, who's phenomenal. Mm-hmm for those of you who don't know him out there, raises his hand at this time saying, I'll move to Florida. And you're going back and forth like a yo-yo doing, not only helping Dan get Florida set up administratively, get Florida up and running to service Petco, but you're also running the company on a day-to-day in Boston. And then you're also, if I'm not mistaken, you're probably still doing your other brokerage account deal this time. Yes. That sounds complicated and busy. What was that time like for you? It was never a dull moment. Let's just say that. I'm sure. Again, it was fun. It was exciting. We had clients like Target. We were rolling out Target all over New England. So these were fun, exciting, new ground-up projects. And seeing these new shopping centers to opportunities for growth, not just for Target, but who will follow Target, our other retailers that wanted to be with them. There was a lot of synergy. There was a lot going on. It was busy, but it was fun. And I had a really good team to help. I'm sure. How does those next few years unfold? Obviously, there comes a point in time where you don't go to Florida every other week. That's correct. Yeah. So how did that evolution occur? We grew it with... uh, It turned out that right after Dan opened the office, we had Tom Godino, who's our partner today, raised his hand. And he's originally from Boston, said, I'm going to move to Florida. And we'd all known Tom for a long time and thought he'd be a great fit. And so Tom comes on and we organically grew that office. Same way we've grown every office. Sure. So... What do you think it was that made that office grow? Like, what's the secret sauce? Because there's brokerage companies that open offices in new locations all the time, and it doesn't always work. In fact, I would argue more of the time than not, the reputation and the book that comes with it for a brokerage shop isn't necessarily replicated. What made you guys different? What were you guys doing different that allowed you to have such great success in your second location in Florida? It's not like you went from Boston right. to the next town over. I think at the end of the day, it's not brain surgery what we do every day. It's You can be a broker. We also like to think of ourselves as consultants. So we treated every retail client as if it was our own when we're choosing locations or 
advising locations, we treat it as our own. If I could used to have a kid with the chairman of Petco that, you know, I could open a hundred stores, but we'd talk about the one that didn't do well. That's what he wanted to talk about. And so I don't think there was a secret sauce other than hard work in putting yourself in the shoes of the retailer and say, would I want this location? Could I see ourselves doing well? How do you feel like the decision to move existing people from Boston played into the success there as opposed to going out and finding established brokers that were already down in Florida and offering them an opportunity to open that office for you? How do I answer that without insulting anybody else? Give it a shot. If we have to delete it later, we'll delete it later. I think what we believed in is we believed in our own culture and work ethic. And everybody that has worked for us at Atlantic and has stayed at Atlantic, I think, looks at it the same way of do it right. And that's the only way to do it. Make sure, care about the wins. Not just getting a commission just to get a commission and we'll set you back three years if it's the worst location. So I don't think there's any secret sauce to it. It's just caring as much about the success of the retailer as it is about the commission. Sure. Makes sense to me. So you guys have some ongoing success in both Boston and in South Florida. You get to a point where Florida establishes itself to where you're able to focus your time mostly, if not exclusively, in Boston again. How did your role shift back or what did your new role look like as an owner of the company as opposed to just being a broker just a few years prior? It's always been the same. It's always been there are going to be the relationships and I'm still going to work with the retailers and yes, manage it. But we have a great operations team here, which I couldn't live without. And certainly makes it so much easier having that that takes all of that off my plate. We couldn't be who we are. And we couldn't be as big as we are at this point without the team. They're irreplaceable. Sure. So you're back up established in Boston. You're still doing your thing. I mean, what happens next? Carolinas. Yeah. Well, does that happen before you acquire the company, the 50% back from your partner? Or No, it happens before that. It definitely happens right after we really had established Florida. Petco says, all right, let's go to the Carolinas. And so we just kind of started that again. Okay. And what year was it roughly that you opened Florida? Florida opened in 2003. Okay. And the Carolinas evolution happens when? 2007. Okay. How did you grow the Carolinas office for those who don't know? How did you guys start that one up? Was that a relocation situation for existing teammates again? Or did you guys... In the beginning, it was me going down and working with local brokers. Ironically, Roy was with another company that I had a relationship with. And so Roy was my local broker for the Carolinas. And for those who don't know, Roy Crane is now the managing partner of the Carolinas. Correct. And so literally, that's how that started of doing the same thing, basically, rinse, wash, repeat, and opening, expanding. And then we opened an office with Jeff McElhinney was the first one who at the time had said, I want to move down there. And he was a client and said, I'll open the office. Love that. I knew eventually Roy would come work with Atlantic. It just took a little longer than I wanted, (laughs) but it's been great. Good. So you've been with Atlantic from 1992 to 2007. They're discounting the fact that the time sounds hectic, right? Because you bought the company and got married and instead of like 12 days, you're running back and forth to Florida every other week at one time. And then right after you get Florida established, everything's going well. And then you're like, you know what? I'm going to go to the Carolinas every other week just to make keep life hectic. 
that all sounds like while it was crazy, it was also by and large very successful. And obviously the company and yourself personally aren't where you are today without that. What's the biggest curveball that's been thrown at you so far? I don't know that there's been a, a massive curveball. I think it's been the whole growth has been, as I said before, organic. And I think that we were the beneficiary of some great opportunities. Believe it or not, great opportunity was the 2008 recession. And I think that's true for a lot of retailers, the healthy retailers. And we're in it right now where we're seeing it's the same thing again of the hardest thing right now is finding it for all of these retailers to actually find space in a lot of these markets. And so it takes a good couple of bankruptcies to help. And back then it was linens and things in Circuit City flooding you know, over a thousand boxes. Just became great opportunities for other retailers. And so other than that, it's, you know, curveballs. I can't tell you that I could think of a curveball that's something where it's, it's just been plodding along step by step, year by year. If you haven't picked up on the level of elite that Brian is, is not only as a broker, but an entrepreneur, you ask a question for someone who's been doing this for over 30 years now, right? And you're thinking the 08 recession is the low-hanging fruit of like biggest curveball or COVID or what have you. And this is how you can tell a good broker from a great broker as far as being someone who's on the principal side. When they say that that not only was 2008 and that recession not a curveball, but it was an opportunity. Just throwing out there for your credibility standpoint, it's pretty cool to hear it that way. Not everybody would answer that question the same way is my point. So kudos to you for that. What are your weaknesses and how do you navigate them? I would say one of my biggest weaknesses is I struggle to delegate well enough. I want to think I can do it all myself and realize I can get in too far into the details and I should be delegating better than I do. But I want to do it because it's the passion of, I want to do the numbers. I want to do this. I want to make sure that every aerial is right. I should delegate more. Yeah, that's probably my biggest weakness. Fair enough. What is the craziest deal you've ever worked on? You know, I think one of the most exciting deals I've ever worked on was in the recession of January of 09. Dan Lynch calls and says, hey, I have an idea. There's a vacant mall in West Palm Beach. Let's get a team to buy it and this, let's tear it down and do a power center. And this was at a time where everybody's saying there's no money out there. There's nothing. My gosh, is retail coming to an end? But literally walking through this thing as a vacant mall and to see that it's now a Whole Foods anchored power center with an outlet center attached to it. That was probably the most exciting deal to ever work on. And Dan had the foresight to see it, envision it. And it was really fun to work on. Happened to know the site. And when I first heard the story, when I was living in South Florida at the time, my jaw dropped hearing how that property was transitioned. And just hear that Dan was the Dan and you and the team there were sort of the visionaries behind it. It's pretty damn impressive. Literally, Dan said, I'm Whole Foods will be the anchor and the even the developer looked at him at the time and said, I don't see Whole Foods coming to this site. <laughs> wow. And Dan said, they're coming. Wow. He had a great vision for it. Now I have to ask the question, even though Dan's not here to defend himself, but you can hopefully answer on his behalf. How confident was he that Whole Foods was coming? Because had they already committed or he just knew he could talk him into it? I think he knew from the, in talking to them, the excitement of the site. And look, when you get a thousand feet of frontage on I-95 in West Palm Beach, it's not that much of a stretch. To say, yeah, you got to look at it. it. Makes right. sense. And the fact that it was sitting there and that the 
I don't want to say who gave the keys back. I can't believe they did. Let's just leave it at that. Sure. Makes sense to me. We can do that. Okay. So I know we've been jumping around chronologically a little bit, but it's somewhat easy to keep up with Brian's career because he's been in one company the whole time. Yes. So you opened the Carolinas with your prior partner. And then when did you do the, we'll call it a recapitalization of the ownership structure in Atlantic? And how did that all go down? And what does that look like today? Well, so again, my partner at the time wanted to go off to do other things. So simply bought him out. And then it was, as we were growing offices, they thought it would just be the best interest of everybody that we have an alignment of number of folks that are partners in every all the offices. And I looked at it and said, you know what, there's, I had partners in different offices, but I felt that it was only right or it was only fair that if I'm working on a project in Florida, my partner's in Boston, well, I wasn't making them any money that day. So aligning everybody so that it it really didn't matter where I was, I thought was the right and fair thing to do. Does a lot of value. When did all of that go down? 2011. Gotcha. And the ownership structure and the way the company's set up today is still the same? Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, so just to recap. In 1992, you started in Atlantic Retail with five people, you being one of them. You don't know anything about real estate. Today, 2023, at the time of this recording, you have how many offices, how many people? Nine offices, 112 people. How does that resonate with you? Just thinking about where your role was in the company when you started from an intern with five people to nine offices across the country. I mean... What's your reaction when you hear that? And the fact that you're basically the pioneer behind all of it. There's no doubt there's a lot of pride in it. Does it am I proud of it? Absolutely. Am I fortunate to have had a lot of really good partners? I couldn't have done it all myself. It takes a lot of like-minded folks to do it. Again, we've been organic in our growth. Other than those two markets, other than the Petco drive for Florida and Charlotte, which were early on, we haven't looked at markets and said, we've got to go have an office in this market. We've opened offices based upon people. Quite honestly, I was never sure that we were going to have an Atlanta office. Wasn't necessarily on the radar until we met Shelly. It was a people thing. It has been for everything, whether it was Dan, whether it was Roy, whether it was Shelly, even in our merger with the Dartmouth company too. I had great relationships with those folks. Even though we were competitors in Boston, we always maintained a great relationship. So for me, I think looking back, when you say, okay, here we are 30 years later, of course, I'm incredibly proud of, of what this is, but I didn't do it all. There's an awful lot of people that did it. Of course, of course. And I think that humility and understanding the value of other people is probably how you got to the seat that you're sitting in. So we appreciate that wisdom. And speaking of that, you have a unique perspective for sure. Would you say that you were always going to be an entrepreneur who happened to practice real estate of getting there? Or were you the type of person who was obsessed with real estate who happened to become an entrepreneur? I definitely didn't know what that was going to be 30 years ago. I think it's evolved. I think that if you ask me today that it's more of an entrepreneur, and back then it was probably more driven by, I want to be good at real estate. Sure. Sure. What advice do you have for someone as you reflect back on your career and the success that you've had 
that is maybe five years or less in the industry or trying to break in the industry in general? I would say in simplistic terms, first and foremost, have pride in your work, work hard, be passionate, care, and be likable. As we say all the time in this business, and I tell young people in our own company, as much as real estate folks, how they choose to work with somebody, as much as they want to know that you know what you're talking about, they also have to be willing to ride in the car with you for 12 hours a day. You have to be likable. Isn't that the truth? Definitely gospel that we have stolen from other companies before, inclusive of yours, and try to bring home here at Zig. You a reader? Yes. One book that's changed your life. And more than one answer is fine. We accept multiple ones. And I'll go ahead and put it out there that we will post on the Zig website. It's going to sound terrible, but one certainly that has resonated with me is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. <laughs> exactly. The four boxes. Yeah. So unfair because this is a podcast. So I will right. explain what just happened. Brian talked about the seven habits of highly effective people. And there's a chart from the book that talks about the way that you categorize things as they come in. Quadrant one, quadrant two, quadrant three, quadrant four. I have that chart printed on my desk. So I just whipped out the sheet, held it up, and that triggered Brian's laugh. So the point is, is I've read it. It's a great book. So keep going. I cut you off. What were you going to say about that book or what other books were you about? Well, I think that's it's putting everything in perspective of everybody can get overwhelmed with their to-do list and being in the ability to put it in one of the four quadrants of urgent and important, urgent, not important, important, not urgent, not important, not urgent is incredibly helpful for when you're multitasking. Love that. Even if I, I'm going to press it again because you enlightened us with one of the, the key takeaway I would argue from that book, but any other ones that you want to share that you feel like have been impactful in your career? Well, so I do think that one of the things that I truly do enjoy reading are a lot of the books about companies and enlightening to the companies and the people. So whether it's back in 30 years ago, reading Sam Walton's biography, play like a champion about Ed Stack's rise and struggles and obviously incredible success with Dick's Sporting Goods, but not realizing without reading the book about how many struggles they had to actually get from the small company in upstate New York, from financial struggles and so forth, of getting it to what it is. So I do enjoy reading a lot of the books about the retailers and seeing behind the curtain. Sure. All three great books. Sam Walton's was fantastic. Made in America. Enjoyed that. And definitely read the Dick Sporting books one as well and, and really enjoyed that thoroughly too. So some great recommendations. Okay, this is our last question. Well, at least I think it is until I ask another one. But it's the same one that we ask all of our guests. And I can't wait to run it by you. So one day, you're going to choose to sell the company or head off into the sunset, retire, and go to Florida to not do deals, but maybe just hang out. Or who knows? Whatever you decide to do, that's on you. Everybody will be shocked and devastated that the great Brian Anderson's leaving the business. But we all want to know when that day does come and the publications, the articles come out. What do you want your legacy to be like in our industry? I think what I would hope that the legacy, what's written on the tombstone is, you always knew where you stood with him. You always knew he was gonna tell you the truth and he was always gonna be fair. Clean, simple, and great as your personality continues to embody. Brian, I really appreciate you joining us. It's been a pleasure having you. Any parting words for our listeners out there? Just 
be passionate about it. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Limitless, how to crush it in commercial real estate. I hope you were able to extract one piece of value out of today's episode. That's my only goal. If you did, in fact, get some value out of it, let me know via LinkedIn, Instagram, or through a review wherever you get your podcasts.